company's birth in 2017, Rocasa has existed to help your family thrive through natural products with ingredients that you can trust. We, Rita and I, would not bring anything before you guys that we did not truly believe in and use in our own homes. And Rocasa is a perfect example of that. They are on a mission to provide clean, non-toxic, high-quality, completely natural and effective products for you, whether it's to use in your home, to use on your body, to use to balance your hormones. They really do have a unique set of products created through hours of research to to help you in your life. So make sure that you're going to rocasaorganics.com checking through the amazing things that they have to offer because I know that they have something for your life, whether it's doing your laundry, putting it on your skin, or using intentionally to improve your health. Go to rocasaorganics.com and enter the code BOOMCLAP to save 20% off your first order. Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today we have Kristen Hawkins on with us. She's the president of Students for Life. And we get into a really interesting conversation with her. She's a busy gal and made time to be on our podcast today. And we really hope you get a lot out of this uh, episode, a lot out of what she has to say. Um, we, I felt like we covered a lot of bases, Did, don't you, Cecily? Like it wasn't just yes. abortion is bad and we don't agree with it. That's we got right. into history of it and... Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I felt about our conversation with her is that a lot of conversations on podcasts and stuff that talk about abortion, it's more like, here's how you can be an abortion apologist. Here's all the arguments. And that's kind of what they are. But we talked about a lot more than that. So it was a really mm-hmm. distinct abortion episode, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would agree. I think sometimes the conversation can get boring if it's the same things you've talked about Mm -hmm. over and over. You know what I mean? And the same Mm -hmm. thing, you, same things you've heard, but this was just different for me. It was a good conversation. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Uh, Before we get into the episode, though, I just want to remind you, subscribe to our podcast, hit the follow button. If you have an Apple phone, uh, subscribe um, on uh, Spotify or whatever platform you listen on. And then also don't forget to leave us a review. You can hit the star button and just do it that way. Or you can leave us a written review. A lot of you send us really sweet messages on social media. And all you have to do is copy and paste that message into a review. And it helps bring us new listeners and helps get us out there for new people to hear our podcast. Uh, we had a review left a while back that was just so kind. It says must listen. Uh, Sarah left us this review. So this is the first podcast I listen to each week. Rita and Cecily speak biblical truth in a crazy world. And we so appreciate you guys taking the time to leave us not only a star review, but a written review. Something else you can do if you want to support us, you can join the Boom Clap community by going to theboomclapcommunity.com. We have uh, quarterly, I almost said monthly, but quarterly I mean, most of us aren't going to read a book and review it together within a month. So quarterly literary reviews, which are super fun. We just pick a book and we go through it, read it, and then we uh, answer questions together, kind of debate the book, discuss the book together on our monthly meetup that month. So we have monthly meetups as well, where we get online together, we video chat each other, and you guys can ask us questions about things we talked about on the podcast or things we might not have talked about that you think we should have. Um, questions you might have about uh, things you disagree with or things you agree with that we talked about. Those are pretty fun to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing is just supporting us 
you might not have time for a literary discussion or a monthly meetup. You might just want to support us. And then Cecily also sends out a weekly email that rounds up what we talked about that week on the podcast and then some things that we didn't talk about that we think are important for you to know. So we will get into our conversation with Kristen and hope you enjoy. Hi, Kristen. We're so happy to have you on with us today. Uh, yeah, thanks we, for having me. Yeah. Before we get into all the questions we have for you, can you just give us a little background, who you are, what you do, and anything that was specifically led you to advocate for the unborn? Yeah, um, I'm the president of Students for Life of America. And um, that means I'm on campuses equipping young people on any given day, um, high school and college campuses. I launched Students for Life when I was just turned 21. Um, to take this organization uh, full time and to to launch an offensive campaign on campuses where uh, we knew the abortion industry was targeting. Um, And I kind of took my experience in high school and college starting a student pro-life group, um, you know, really took that experience, the lessons I've learned uh, at that time, and really found a way to, you know, really equip young people who I knew were out there that had passion, um, like me to step up and be a voice for the voiceless, but may not have known, you know, exactly what to do. Um, and so it's been an honor of a lifetime to do this work. I got started uh, initially in the pro-life movement, uh, volunteering when I was 15 for a pregnancy resource center, uh, near in my hometown. I, I love that you started that at age 15 already. Um, I don't think that's really what a lot of 15 year olds are thinking about is volunteering in that sort of capacity. Um, so it's good to know that there are some 15 year olds like that. And I pray that there are lots right now getting involved in the same sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky. I was looking for a volunteer opportunity or at my church had, um, you know, suggested that maybe I, I interned with her, volunteer with her at the pregnancy center. Um, I would like to be able to say I knew exactly what I was getting myself into, um, um, but I didn't. I had no clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, a woman said, oh, volunteer at a women's center. Yep, sounds great. Women's center, sounds good. Uh, I had no idea, you know, what I was going to volunteer for was, you know, quote, unquote, pregnancy resource center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, at 15, I think there's this level of innocence that, you know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that sounds great. Good way to get some credit and whatever. And sure, who, yeah. who knew that it would turn into this life-changing, eye-opening thing? That's yeah. right. That's absolutely right. I learned, uh, I learned a lot and, you know, I grew up in a, you know, a Christian evangelical home that was, you know, uh, pretty normal. Um, I never really had my share of hardship or trauma in my family. Uh, and so it was for me a very eye-opening experience to kind of be thrown into that situation where, and I was really given an opportunity uh, at the pregnancy center beyond the, you know, sorting the, the diapers and the baby formula and helping the volunteers there figure out how to use an old computer to create uh, supporter newsletters. I was actually given the opportunity to um, counsel women that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, really getting to sit down with women and hear their stories, um, 
uh, you know, what led them to that point in their life where they were, you know, walking in to a pregnancy center uh, in crisis, uh, unloading into a complete stranger, um, all of the trauma that they they had endured, mm-hmm. um, and really, you know, asking for um, a third party to help weigh in into these decisions, these life and death decisions that uh, they were making. Yeah, I feel like some an argument that could be made um, for people that are not pro-life would be hearing someone like you speak and saying, well, you're just dehumanizing women um, who are trying to make the best choice for their lives. But like when you when you tell us that story about you sitting down with women and hearing their stories, mm-hmm. that's not dehumanizing at all. That's really putting a face and a heart and a life to um, these stories, right? Which is so important and for people to realize that it's not... Um, just arguments about what is right and what is wrong, but that it's actually a very personal thing getting to know the people that are struggling through these decisions. Yeah. I mean, that's seeking social justice with someone, not simply trying to um, send her to uh, an abortionist uh, who will charge her, her, you know, last penny in her checking account um, and profit off of her despair. Uh, it was very apparent very early on volunteering at, at, at the pregnancy center that most of the women I had talked, that I was talking with, um, had already had an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very clear that the, the, that first abortion that they had, or even the second abortion that they had, didn't, didn't end the poverty that they found themselves in, right. whether it was financial poverty spiritual poverty, relationship poverty, most mm-hmm. of the times it's all three. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very clear that abortion is, uh, you know, it's a used Band-Aid over a gaping wound that's mm-hmm. only going to seep in and cause more infection. Yeah. Yep. One thing that I enjoyed as I was trying to get to know you a little bit, scrolling through your social media, just seeing what you do, I enjoyed that you're not afraid to use the talking points that are used for abortion against abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I, I think I read something where you said minimizing pre-born humans is fetus phobic because we hear about all these phobias people have. So you use yeah. that one. And then uh, feminism and abortion don't mix because feminism yeah. is, you know, the main talking point, the main reason that they will say, you know, we need to have choice, quote unquote, they call it a choice. But so how would you describe to people that abortion is anti-woman and anti-feminism? Yeah, I mean, uh, abortion tells women. And so the abortion lobby tells women that the male body is the is the standard. And that anything less than the male body means you're not equal to mm-hmm. So the fact that women, you know, I often talk about women being superheroes of being able to menstruate, jack, gestate, and lactate, three things that men will never be able to do. Uh, we can do that. Men can't do it. But yet we're somehow our bodies are treated as if, you know, the male body is, is the normative and that we need to aspire to have bodies like men. I mean, in fact, when Obamacare, Affordable Care Act was rammed through Congress in 2010, um, one thing folks probably don't realize is they um, they mandated that insurance providers cover contraceptives, uh, some of them falsely labeled contraceptives because they can be abortifacients, at 100%. 
And the reason for that was that the you know abortion lobby was clamoring for for it, feminists were clamoring for it. Um, and so, how did they get that passed? How did they you know ram that through? Because they labeled pregnancy a preventable disease. So the Department of Health and Whoa. Human Services labeled pregnancy a preventable disease. Therefore, the cure to the disease is uh, a, a, is birth control. You know whether it's barrier method birth control or uh, artificial hormone birth control that literally alters the way women's brains think and the sexual attraction that women have to towards men. Um, no one would ever do that for a man. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't. We wouldn't prescribe a pill to men that literally changes their sexual desires mm-hmm. uh, in their brains and be okay with that and accept that and say, "Well, that's you know liberation." Um, and so I think that the very basis of abortion is that we accept the male body and we act as if the male body is the standard that we all need to have. And that's, that's not true. Um, uh, you know, to say that women need abortion, I mean, it's the, uh, abortion is very much the opposite of empowerment. The reason that, and I don't know if you all have ever gone out and prayed in an abortion facility or, uh, Siwa counseled women before they went into an abortion facility, but uh, women are not at an abortion facility at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, uh, often in a not great part of town uh, because they feel like they're empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, they are there because they feel right. like they have literally no choices, that mm-hmm. they have to choose themselves or they have to choose their baby but they can't choose both because their partner, which even the Guttmacher Institute, the research arm of Planned Parenthood named after the second president of of Planned Parenthood, Alan Guttmacher, the president of the American Eugenics Association, Mm. um, that the Guttmacher Institute themselves even admits that the vast majority of women who seek abortions felt pressure from their partners to do so. Um, So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, to figure out very quickly on as we start serving in the pro-life movement that this is not empowerment. This is not, um, you know, being a feminist. Uh, this is women who've run out of choices and feel like they're all alone. And our society, you know, with 50 years of abortion, I would say, has been pretty damn lazy um, because we've been able to say, oh, you have an abusive boyfriend um, oh, you are estranged from your family and you didn't get your high school diploma. And therefore, you have to live with that man who kind of treats you like crap because you're afraid of, of what he's going to do. If he's going to throw you and your two year out on the street, you should just have an abortion, 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 abortion. That will solve all your problems when it really doesn't solve our problems. But we actually haven't had to have real conversations about how to solve those problems and how do we walk alongside women, uh, we've just gotten kind of lazy of, we'll just send her to someone who's going to profit off of her despair. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how we convince people that doing what's convenient sometimes is also doing what's right, you know, for society as a whole, it's more convenient for us to believe that abortion is empowering women. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very inconvenient truth that it's not actually. And I need to talk about the pregnancy as a preventative disease statement. Um, That is just so false. You know, like when we think about if we truly treated pregnancy as if it was a preventative disease, the population would cease to exist. Humanity would disappear within a generation. Um, so it's amazing to me that they could actually use pregnancy as a preventative disease to pass that when it's just like a flat out lie. 
Yeah, I know. And it's, it's funny that most people have actually even forgotten about that. I bring it up as much as I can because I still, 12 years later, am outraged by the fact that they, they think that gestating another human being, you know, continuing humankind is a disease. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. And when stuff like this is, or anything really, when it's built on such blatant lies, um, I mean, the whole argument for all of it falls apart really quickly if you want to choose to see past, past the inconvenient truths of it. The problem is most people don't. So they choose instead to swallow the lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's much easier to say, oh, I'm pro-choice. I'm not pro-abortion. I'm pro-choice. Do what mm-hmm. you want. It's your life, her body, her choice. Um, then to have to stand up and say, no, the killing of a unique whole living human being simply because they're inconvenient to you is selfish and wrong and you shouldn't have the choice to do that. And by the way, let's have a discussion of what's leading her to think that that's her only choice. Um, That's hard work to do. That's actually hard to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it can take courage um, and perseverance and resolve. And and I think that's um, sadly in our day and age, it's it's a little difficult sometimes to find people who are willing to do that. But Mm -hmm. thankfully we have a whole army of the privileged generation that, um, you know, has that courage, um, has that resolve and and is dedicated to persevering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think, um, in most things in, in our society, getting to the root cause for a lot of people is not worth the effort. So it is really great that there are people willing to do that work and just pray that it it turns into more people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned when you were talking about the preventable disease portion, birth control and not being good for you. And that's a whole whole can of worms there because that's something, you know, I've known for years and it's starting to catch on. It's starting to catch on a little bit. Um, Women are picking up on that. But in general, you know, how birth control started, eugenics, all Planned Parenthood, all of that. It's just interesting to me that, I, I don't know, like, why is it that the lies spread faster than the truth. Why is that? You know, have we just been, you think, quiet too long? People people were just quiet and went along and didn't want to mess in other people's business. Like, why is it that the Planned Parenthood movement and the, quote, pro-choice, as they call themselves, movement, moved so much faster than um, people speaking truth about life? You know what I mean? When I, when you get into the origins of how this all started, it's yeah. a very ugly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I believe Satan is real. I mean, that's yeah. And Satan is extremely power, powerful and cunning. I don't ever doubt the existence mm-hmm. of God because I know Satan is real. Even in like yeah. the worst days, it's very clear. And you have an entire, um, sadly, you know, mainstream media and, you know, democratic party political class that has, fall in lockstep. But at first it comes, it really comes down to money, to be honest with you, because, mm-hmm. you know, at one point where Democrats were pro-life, um, mm-hmm. Al Gore was pro-life, just Jesse Jackson was pro-life, you know, all these people, Al Sharpton was pro-life. And then it's like, you look at, you know, their records, Joe Biden was pro-life. Yeah. This, this, this wasn't that long ago. No, I mean, they were talking late seventies, early as Jesse Jackson spoke at the March for life for gosh mm-hmm. sakes. So, um, so you start asking yourself, well, what changed? It was the money. 
the money changed. Once Roe was handed down, once, you know, because Planned Parenthood, um, you know, granted they were founded by an evil eugenicist, Margaret Sanger, who believes certain people shouldn't be allowed to reproduce. She believed in negative eugenics as well as positive eugenics. Mm-hmm. So positive eugenics meaning, um, yes. you know, just trying to get people to understand to have less kids is better for the world, blah, 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 blah. Negative eugenics, meaning I'm going to force sterilization procedures on certain groups of people. So she believed in both of those. Um, but Planned Parenthood wasn't actually pro-abortion. And I don't think I have a, I have a, a copy of a flyer from the early 60s where Planned Parenthood said, Birth control isn't abortion, and abortion's killing a baby. But birth control doesn't do that. I mean, they they actually came out and admitted it. Um, But it was after Roe versus Wade was handed down by seven men in 1973, and his companion case Doe versus Bolton, which together legalized abortion in all nine months for any reason. um, That's when the money started really flowing in. That's when corporate abortion really began to take off, um, and that's when you start seeing these cultural shifts. Uh, happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really draws the connection between money and law and perceived morality, right? So when a law changes, the money follows the law. And then the rest of the population, their idea of morality often changes based on what the laws are. Well, that's legal. So it must be moral, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing. That's why reversing Roe was so important, to be honest with you. I mean, I heard a lot of Christians say to me, well, you know, reversing the law, reversing Roe doesn't really do anything. It's not going to save, save any, save any children. You know, um, uh, my, my favorite was when I had, uh, pro-life quote unquote Democrats tell me in 2020 that they weren't going to vote for president Trump because, you know, just like me, didn't like his Twitter, uh, but because he was a mean guy and, you know, it was very clear voting for Joe Biden versus voting for Donald Trump, what we were going to get. And then these folks would say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's president. Well, uh, yeah, it kind of does. Mm-hmm. Um, love him or hate him, Donald Trump appointed. And Mike Pence, I would argue, is the Trump-Pence administration. I think a lot of the wonderful things we saw, the pro-life, you know, the pro-life world out of the administration came because of, of, of Mike Pence's leadership. But um, it was because of that, that we got three Supreme Court justices that reversed versus Wade, that now for the first time in the entire generation, children are going to be born into a country and raised in a country where abortion isn't going to be considered the norm everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that in 20 years and you've got kids at, I don't know, um, University of Missouri who will come together in their freshman class in 18 years. And you're going to have kids from California. You'll have kids from Texas. You'll have kids from Florida. You're going to have kids from all these different states. And you're going to have some students who are going to be like, wait a minute, you come from a state where you can kill babies? That's right. unbelievable. I mean, the, the cultural significance of, of that is something we haven't even begun to measure in terms of, of how to change the change in the culture. Um, and so I think that that for me is absolutely the law as a teacher. And sadly, a lot of people, um, and I don't think they should do this, but they do drive their morality from legality. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, bad things happen when you tend to do that because human beings, you know, are sometimes suck. Um, <laughs> always have a little great history in our, in our nation of, you know, upholding the dignity of every human being. 
um, especially those who are different than us. Um, but uh, that's why these, these laws matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Our sponsor for this episode is Pretty Little Light Candle Co. I love this company. I know Rita does too. Lauren is the owner of it. And she started this company actually as a homeschool project with her daughter and then gave them out as Christmas gifts. Everybody loved them and wanted them to make more. And that's how this business started. And I love a small business that has a story. It's not just like, how can we make money? Um, There's a story behind it. There's real people behind it. It's mother-daughter run. And that's amazing. And not only that, but Rita and I, we love candles, but we're super picky about what we have in our house. These candles actually meet our criteria of something that we would burn in our house. They are phthalate-free. They're natural fragrances which are actually cleaner burning than essential oils, which is something that Rita and I learned from Lauren as we were asking her questions about her business. So we highly recommend that you check out Pretty Little Light Candle Co. and share these candles with the people that you love. It's such a great gift idea. They they base their business off of Matthew 5, 16, which says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. And that is something we can get behind. So go to Pretty Light, Pretty Little Light Candle Co. and enter the code BOOMCLAP to save 20% off your order. Okay, speaking of, we talked about convenience a little bit ago. So speaking of convenience, let's talk about chemical abortion and the fact that pharmacies like CVS are now carrying the abortion pill. Um, And let's also talk about the irony of the fact (laughs) that Walgreens, so Walgreens was actually the first uh, pharmacy to come out and say they're going to do the abortion pill, then CVS, then Roe followed suit. Now, we had fewer than 600 abortion facilities when Roe was was reversed. Now we're going to have over 33,000. And Walgreens just came out and said, that, you know, responding to a letter prompted by 20 state attorney generals, um, that they won't distribute these chemical abortion pills. It's called RU486 in states where it's illegal, these 20 states where distributing these pills would be illegal. Now the state of California is saying they're not going to do business with Walgreens because they refuse to break the law in these other 20 states. And now Walgreens is being protested by pro-lifers and pro-abortion people. It's hilarious. That could have happened to a better company. Um, And I think it shows what happens when your neighborhood pharmacy tries to be woke and, you know, wade into abortion politics. And I think, you know, what we saw, the protesting that we've done in front of these uh, pharmacies, now abortion facilities, just even this weekend, uh, the work we're doing, passing letters to the staff and the pharmacies, the pharmacists at these pharmacies, um, it's having an impact. Um, and hopefully, you know, as their, as their abortions rise, their, their, um, their stock prices will go down. But it's, it's, um, it's a dangerous thing. And we saw it, you know, chemical abortion's been around for 22 years. In 2000, the FDA... Um, quickly approved uh, RU-486 through the Clinton administration. Um, they use like this um, fast tracking scheme to get it through that they do for like cancer drugs, like life-saving drugs. So there actually wasn't an actual co- real conversation about it. These pills have been around for a long time. They're actually extremely painful. They're four times more deadly, uh, 10 times higher complication rate, 15% annual uh, incompl- incompletion rate, meaning she'll have to go get a surgical abortion anyway. But what they did was they used the crisis of COVID. The abortion industry used the crisis of COVID uh, to 
to pressure the FDA to drop all the REMS, the risk evaluation mitigation strategies. Uh, uh, that was, you know, there's about 70 drugs in America that have REMS attached to them, meaning they're very dangerous drugs. And so if a prescriber wants to prescribe them, there's certain protocols that the FDA says you have to go through in order to prescribe them in order to ensure patient safety. And when you're talking about chemical abortion pills, you're obviously not talking about the baby because the tendon effect is to starve and then birth a dead baby. But they were talking about the effect on women. Even the Obama administration's FDA agreed and put these REMS in place and strengthened those REMS. So during COVID, the abortion industry pushed for online, no test chemical abortions. And they actually, even though the REMS were still in place, they started experimenting upon women in places like Montana, native women in Montana through a genuity health study. And Planned Parenthood and Genuity Health started distributing these pills without actually testing, giving a blood test, confirming she's not RH negative or an ultrasound, uh, confirming she does, she's not experiencing life-threatening ectopic pregnancy. And they were like, yep, it's fine, see? And then the Biden administration on the same day, they pulled the Johnson Johnson vaccine at the FDA because a woman had died from a blood clot. And the exact same day, they issued a letter saying they were going to drop all the REMS in these chemical abortion pills, despite the fact that we know uh, right now we know 28 women have died. We don't actually have a national abortion reporting law in America, so we don't know how many women have died. But we know and the FDA has admitted at least 28 women have died. So that was their first step was to get the FDA to drop these REMS, these common sense REMS to ensure women don't die, ensure women aren't rendered infertile. Because if you take these drugs, these, these two pills, and you're experiencing ectopic pregnancy, you know, when the child is lodged and implants into the fallopian tube and your fallopian tube bursts, you will bleed out and you will die. That's why it's common medical courtesy uh, to, you know, do an ultrasound, usually transvaginal ultrasound, that thing that, you know, pro-choice people accuse us of wanting to rape women when pro-lifers try to pass bills saying you have to do uh, an ultrasound before having an abortion, one, to confirm the pregnancy, confirm the location of the pregnancy. Um, but you have to use a transvaginal wand to do an ultrasound early in the first trimester. That's, you know, duh, standard uh, medical uh, practice. But they said, you don't have to do that. So there's they. If a woman's diet has an ectopic pregnancy, there's no way to diagnose it. The other thing they said is you don't have to do a blood test, which most women who've had a child, you know, that's one of the first things that they'll test for after they figure out how you have, you know, if your insurance, how you're going to pay for the birth of your child, um, they're going to do a blood test. And they're one of the things they measure in the blood test at the OBGYN's office is your RH negativity status. Um, because about 15% of the population is Rh negative. When there is a mixing of blood between mother and child, if she's Rh negative and the child is Rh positive, whether that mixing of blood happens in birth, miscarriage, or abortion, if she's not treated with a Rogan shot, uh, she may she may very well may not be able to ever carry another child to term again. Meaning she'll be able to get pregnant, but she won't be able to deliver live have live birth. She'll have miscarriage after miscarriage. We're not even testing for that anymore. Uh, and the Biden administration has simply gone through with it. And now they're saying, okay, we dropped all the REMS. Now pharmacies can pass these out. So you could be there getting your heartburn medication and the sex predator behind you in line um, could be picking up a pill uh, that he's going to use to erase his crime and erase proof of his crime. Um, and so that's their goal. Um, but they're not going to stop with just saying right. Yes, 
can pass these pills out. Uh, the next step will be you must distribute them. And so they will, they've already said the abortion activist who poses as our Department of Health and Human Services Secretary, Javier Becerra, has openly said that medical workers, pharmacists don't have a conscience. So the next step is you will pass them out. And then their final step to completely normalize abortion our culture is going to be to put them over the counter where anyone can buy them, even right. sex predators. Um, and that will be uh, the completion of their work in terms of normalizing abortion uh, into a commonplace thing. You know, just when you're picking up your tampons, you can also pick up an abortion pill. Um, and so we had four years between when Plan B, that high dose contraceptive that's supposed to be given, you know, after unprotected sex within 72 hours to prevent pregnancy, prevent egg and sperm from uniting, so to stop the egg from releasing. It can cause an early abortion because it makes the lining of the uterus shed. So if conception has occurred, um, the new embryo can't, when it makes, the embryo makes its way down in the fallopian tube into the uterine lining, it can't actually implant. Uh, it's not intended to be abortifacient. It's a contraceptive, but it can be abortifacient. They only took four years from when they told pharmacies they can distribute it to getting it on the shelves. So we are we are in a race against the clock when it comes to chemical abortion in our country. And college campuses are now putting Plan B in their uh, vending machines. Yep. yep, I see them all the time. I they bring them. Uh, I was just at University of South Florida in Tampa. They purchased Plan B and were passing it out as a means of protesting my event on campus. Oh, wow. It's just horrifying. And I sometimes like to imagine like what it would be like if someone from 100 years ago or, you know, whatever, all of a sudden was transplanted to our time and they saw stuff like this and realized the ramifications of what this means. Mm -hmm. um, what they would think, like they would probably be thinking we're living in some sort of post-apocalyptic evil society. Um, and I mean, maybe it, it is an evil society, right? And uh, we we look at passages in the Bible talking about child sacrifice. We think that's horrible. That's horrible. How could any society have ever done that? And here we are just passing it out like it's candy um, to take a life. It's, it's really... It's, it's really sad too, because you have so many Christians as well who have really bought into these lies, mm -hmm. um, you know, saying, well, you know, I wouldn't have an abortion, but I can't judge another woman. Um, you know, therefore I'm going to be an ally to her. And, you know, and I, it's just like this misplaced compassion that we see a lot within the Christian community that I think is, to me, is probably way more frustrating than having a conversation with someone who's a sold out abortion supporter who really doesn't believe a human being in the womb has any value because I can understand where that person comes from at that point. If you don't think any, if you don't think I have value, if you don't think you have value, um, you're not certainly going to, you know, subscribe value to a preborn child that you can't see. That makes sense. That's a, you know, almost a consistent argument to, to make. Um, what's very frustrating is when we see Christians uh, on campuses or just in their communities who will say, yeah, I'm with you. Abortion's wrong. However, I can understand a woman who would want to choose abortion in this case. Um, 
because I just, I have a very hard time saying, you know, I, I always encourage people to like replace that uh, term abortion with something else. Like, yeah, I don't think anyone should beat children um, to the point of, you know, they're bleeding in their homes. And I think it's certainly wrong, but I could understand if a parent would be so upset, maybe they're really stressed out. Maybe they lost their job, you know, because their child misbehaved in school and was expelled and they had to stay at home. And therefore the person, the mother or father lost their job. You know, maybe that justifies that the child being beaten to the point where he's unconscious or is bleeding. No one else would, everybody just look at you like you have four heads. Like, of course not. There's no justification for that. We'd say the same thing with child abuse. Um, you know, child sexual abuse. Can you imagine anybody in our country saying, well, I wouldn't rape a child, but you know, I, you know, I, I can see sometimes we would never tolerate those things because we understand that they are moral wrong and they're evil. And we've, we use these other words like reproductive rights, reproductive justice, pro-choice, because we don't want to say the word abortion. We try to hide around what it actually is because then we can justify it. Yeah. Well, it is more frustrating to hear Christians say that because Christians should know better and we are held account to what we know, right? Because we should have knowledge of what we believe. Um, And yeah, it's really good to hear you describe how we can, you know, not necessarily argue, but put an argument forth using a different term because absolutely. People would look at you like you're crazy. And that's actually how we found you. I think originally was mm-hmm. you were debating on campus with a gal and you were comparing uh, abortion with slavery and human rights. Yeah. And man, I just, what and is her heads? Like you can just like animate the video because you can just mm-hmm. like metaphorically seeing like the head exploding. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah. <laughs> she was screaming at you basically. Um, so what is it like having these conversations on campus? Like, do you ever, do you ever find that anyone comes away with their mind changed? Um, or do you just make people really angry that don't agree with you? Yeah, I know. I've, I've heard that argument from some Christians of like, well, you shouldn't really do these videos. Oh, I'm not you telling you really do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've heard these arguments before. Trust me, I get them in my DMs all the time. You shouldn't do this because you made them look stupid and they're going to hate you forever. They're going to hate the pro-life movement forever. Um, that, you know, that's a valid question someone has. I think you have to think about what's the intended effect of the, why do we, why do we create video clips of the speeches, um, is because we're, we're inspiring other people to speak up, to show them how simple it is really to point out the illogical anti-science views, um, that those who support abortion have to accept. And I think, you know, I would love to personally and find a way to go pro myself when I'm speaking on these campuses, because often if someone's coming to, to a conversation, you know, a speech I'm giving, I speak for about 40, 45 minutes, then I do an open Q and a, um, you know, sometimes a lot of times they're just seething with anger before they even get into the room. They're not listening to what I'm saying, or they're, or they're all tight. They're like, quickly typing with anger the entire time I'm speaking because they're like fact checking everything I say or looking up past tweets that myself or my staff might have tweeted out for myself and try to find like gotcha things. Um, but the, but the real effect I think on campuses isn't necessarily that one person. I mean, we've, I've definitely had some good conversations with folks that have walked away going, you know, you're right. I don't know how to answer this question. That doesn't make sense. 
Um, but it's more about the people in the audience, the people who are watching the conversation. And, and that's not really what you can't really see that on social media. Mm-hmm. But like it's if I could animate little light bulbs going off above people's mm-hmm. heads, I would yeah. love to do that. If I had like a little GoPro because, you know, <laughs> when I'm when I'm speaking on the campus, I'm looking for that person, those people that have come to the the speech really interested and truly trying to find truth. Um, sometimes they'll come up to me quietly afterwards, ask you a question and have notebooks. So they'll want to follow up with me personally and send me an email and, and ask something. Um, but I, that's why I do it, do these types of events is, you know, it's a twofold thing of one, teaching our students for life leaders, teaching the pro-life generation, teaching folks on the internet, you know, Christians broad, most broadly, um, how easy it is that you can stand up for the pre-born. You don't have to be, um, you don't have to be like, I don't consider myself a very eloquent speaker. I'm a very plain spoken person, um, pretty blunt. Um, but you know, you just remain calm and ask questions Mm -hmm. and you'll find that, uh, you very easily will show those who support abortion, the, the logical views that they accepting, but then also, um, you're changing minds of those folks who are truly trying to seek the truth on this issue. Yeah. Uh, and they're there every single campus. And, and, and they're the reason I do this because I can see their the little light bulbs going off. And often it's not, I always say that, you know, those who, um, and I try so hard to get people who disagree with me to come out to my speeches. I actually get kind of quite bored uh, if everybody at my speech agrees with me. I will purposely do <laughs> something controversial uh, just to try to get some disagreement because I find that, it is um, those who disagree with me actually make the pro-lifers. It's mm-hmm. not the special words that I said. It's them actually having to stay out loud, the quiet part. Yep. And that's what's not okay. You know, when, when they have to, you know, this guy, Michael Hugo, who just resigned finally after a month and a half uproar in Massachusetts, he, you know, argues, he was representing the, the Framingham Massachusetts Democratic Committee and got put in front of a council meeting arguing that a pregnancy center shouldn't be started in their community because they have, in his view, uh, less well-trained uh, sonographers and that they may miss a uh, genetic defect uh, when they're doing an ultrasound on a the baby. Therefore, babies with defects, more babies with defects might be born in Framingham, Massachusetts, and it'll be a burden on our school system. I mean, he said this wow. out loud. I was just... I mean, it was, I was on Fox news talking about it and it was, it was so, you know, interesting because, um, someone had asked me how I felt about it. And I said, well, good. I'm glad he said it out loud because mm-hmm. I hear this all the time. This is eugenics, you know, it was live and well in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it wasn't like this flippant thing he said, he pre-wrote this answer. He pre-wrote wow. it, sent it out to other members of the democratic committee and his he probably showed it to his wife and then mm-hmm. went and delivered the remarks. Mm-hmm. He said the quiet part out loud. I think that statement um, and highlighting the the horror of that statement probably made a lot of pro-lifers across the country mm-hmm. because people were looking at that going, wow, you know, I, I say I'm pro-choice because I feel like I... I am for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm this enlightened person who cares about, you know, people of all shapes and sizes. And But wait a minute, does me supporting abortion mean that I'm okay with killing a child because of his or her genetic code? Yep, it does. 
because according to the Democratic National Committee, according to every state Democrat, you know, um, Democrat committee, they won't tolerate any exceptions in their advocacy, their ideology for abortion. For example, in Minnesota, they just passed this PRO Act. Minnesota, like, apparently wants to be the California of abortion in the Midwest. And so they passed this, you know, abortion for any reason, all nine months. And so the pro-lifers uh, kept putting, up, throwing up amendments late at night on this bill. This bill, by the way, passed in, at 3 a.m. It was like the, the devil's hour. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, they kept putting up amendments. They put up like 27 amendments, just trying to get anything reasonable in this. So, you know, they put up an amendment, um, uh, sex-based abortion. So, you know, you can't choose, say you're going to have an abortion simply because you don't like the gender of your baby. Nope. Oh, the Democrats struck it down. They put up an amendment. You can't choose an abortion because a child has Down syndrome. Nope. Struck it down. I mean, this was every single one. Mm. Yeah, that's really telling. I mean, just the conversations that this is one thing that's frustrating about this time we're living in. And also um, I enjoy about the time we're living in. I feel like it's frustrating because some people want to stay in their echo chamber, but it's also good that we're living in this time of controversy because a lot of conversations are happening. There are I mean, that's one thing in 2020 when all this started like blowing up with COVID and things, I think all of a sudden people kind of woke up to some things happening. I was like, at least we're finally talking about something, right? At least we're finally talking. Yeah. Because like you said, you know, you can stay calm, present facts, and then have these conversations with people. And when you have a conversation, you can see what the other side thinks, right? And then we can determine who is right. And that's the only way, right? If we just, mm -hmm. we're not having these conversations, we don't. So what, um, I guess, what are some, I'm going to give you two parts of this question. So first, rape and, rape and incest narrative. That comes up every time. Like whenever you have an argument with somebody who is pro-abortion, it always boils down to that because that's where they feel like they can, that's like their last mm -hmm. resort argument. And that's what they're throwing in there, like in the, throwing in at the last resort, right? And then the other part of the question would be, what would you tell our audience how they can have more productive conversations surrounding abortion with people who disagree with them, obviously? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's like more productive conversations with your audience would be just have the damn conversations in the first place. Yes. That's <laughs> I think so many Christians just shy away from having the conversation about abortion because the argument is, well, I don't know everything. Guess what? I don't know everything either. You don't. And I think, I think you can't let that fear hold you back. It's okay if someone asks you a question and then you don't know the answer, be like, you know what? Let me get back to you. Let me think about it. I actually think that shows a lot of integrity. They'll probably really respect you because they know that you aren't giving them some you know, pre-rehearsed answer that you're actually deeply thinking about their argument, which they're going to love because they want to convince you that they're right. Um, I think it's important to just get out and have the conversations, find ways to have the conversation. Well, you know, we always tell students like put a bumper sticker in your car, put a laptop sticker in your laptop, wear pro-life t-shirts, you know, always do something where that makes it easy for people to go, what's that mean? What's that sticker on your laptop mean? What's that pro-life generation on your shirt mean? Why are you celebrating the reversal of Roe on your social media? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, really? Oh, great. Let's have, yeah, I'd love to tell you about why I'm against the violence of abortion. I think it's be unafraid to have the conversation and recognize early on you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. And I think, I think that's what, you know, I get like, people praise me for like going on campuses and I'm, and I'm like, I am like no one special. 
I don't feel like I don't have a theology or philosophy degree. I took a couple of classes of philosophy in college. And I absolutely hated it. There's much better pro-life apologists than myself. Um, heck, those pro-life apologists probably watch my videos on campuses and just want to pull their hair out. I'm sure I'm, sometimes they critique me anyway. Um, the, the difference is I'm just, I'm just unafraid. I'll get out there and I'll have the conversation. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've said stuff where I'm like, you know, I'll be driving back and I just want to like pull off the side of the road and throw myself into the grass because <laughs> I am like, oh my gosh, I totally missed what, you know, if I, if only I would have thought of this one mm -hmm. thing, you know, it would have, re, you know, maybe it would have changed my mind, you know? Uh, but then there's other moments where, you know, the whole prayer come Holy spirit, um, then there's other moments where I'll say something that, you know, and some a student will come up to me later and be like, this one thing you said made me rethink the whole argument. And I'm like, yeah, that wasn't in my notes. I don't even yeah. remember saying that yeah. phrase, but so, you know, it's just being that, that vessel and being willing to, being willing to be scorned and to be made fun of. I mean, like I'm a plus mm -hmm. size lady who does a lot of videos uh, with a lot of very nasty people who are hurting on the internet. So you can only imagine the comments that I get in daily about, you know, you're so fat, you're not pro-life. If you were, if you were really pro-life, you would, you would be, you would take care of yourself, go eat another donut. I mean, like, I mean, it's like wow. a daily barrage of crap that comes in. Oh, yeah. me. Um, I just don't care. So I, I think that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to get to that point as Christians that we're willing to put ourselves out there and realize we're not going to be perfect. We're mm -hmm. going to mess up. We may not always say the right thing, but we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep, you know, we talk about a lot in business failing forward. You know, you want to mm -hmm. fail forward. You learn from your mistakes. Um, rape and incest. Yes. I get this question every time I speak on campus. Surprisingly, I get kind of bored with the questions on campuses. Um, I'm actually bringing somebody else to campus with me this, this year because I'm hoping two of us will make people more angry. Maybe they'll bring up some different questions because it's the same questions. It doesn't matter if I'm in a high school, a community college, or an Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. The questions are always the same. Rape and incest always gets brought up. Um, something that I've been really trying to, you know, when that comes up, you know, I, I, I sometimes I try to set that aside and say, you know, there's no nothing worse I can imagine for myself, my daughter, my best friend than, than the atrocity of rape. And, um, it's horrific and, it, and it's something you don't want to address flippantly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's set that aside for a moment and I'll, I'll address your question, but setting that, that horrible circumstance of rape and incest, which we know rape and incest account for about one to 1.5% of all abortions surprisingly uh, people tend to think that every woman who's a, who's a survivor of sexual assault, who becomes a, one, every woman who's a survivor of sexual assault is gets pregnant, which is not, is not true. About 5% of women who survive sexual assault are pregnant. Um, and actually the horror of the sexual assault actually helps prevent a lot of pregnancies um, itself because your body's natural response to this, this atrocity that's happened. Um, but then we also assume that if a woman survives sexual assault and becomes pregnant, then 100% of those survivors choose abortion. That's also not true. It's about 50%. Mm -hmm. 
So 50% actually choose life or whether it's parenting or placing with an adoptive family. So I think we have to get our facts straight on that. But setting that issue aside for a second, how do you, if if 1.5% of abortions are because of rape and incest, if another 0. 0.8, 0. 0.5, or 1% of abortions are, is because of a life of the mother, which we wouldn't consider uh, a direct abortion, depending on how it's done. Uh, it could be a direct or an indirect abortion. But um, setting that aside, do you think that the other 97% of abortions are justified and moral and should be legal? Right. That's I've a really good found, way to frame the question. <laughs> I've never found one person to say, yeah, I agree with you, mm-hmm. which then leads me to ask this next question. Then why are you trotting out the trauma of a sexual assault survivor in order to justify an extremist position that you're okay with abortions in all, in any case, for whatever mm-hmm. reason? Mm-hmm. I actually think it, it shows just the callousness of um, those who support abortion, that they're willing to say this over and over again. But I'm like, wait a minute, set that aside. Because many, I mean, many pro-life laws that get, get passed or introduced actually do have exceptions for rape. I would advise against them because you're, you know, um, the reason why I'm against abortion cases of rape is because your circumstances of your conception do not change your fundamental value of a human person. Mm-hmm. And we can't, you know, we should be able to do and go as far as we can to help a woman who survives sexual assault. But my help ends the moment you ask me to end the life of another human being. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I can't, I can't um, say that committing an act of violence against someone weaker and smaller and innocent is somehow going to erase the violence that's been done upon you. Um, but beyond that, why is it that everyone always brings it up but then they still justify all the other abortions. Mm-hmm. Just stand up and argue for 100% of abortions. Argue for the other 97% of abortions and be okay with that. Because if you're pro-choice and if you're pro-legal abortion, then you should be able to argue for that. Yeah. You shouldn't have to trot out a sexual assault survivor's trauma in order to justify your extremist beliefs. Similarly, miscarriage, like you shouldn't have to play on somebody who's had a, had a miscarriage. Like that's been the latest debate. You know, if abortion wasn't so ugly, they wouldn't have to say miscarriage is abortion because those are two totally different things. Spontaneous mm-hmm. abortion, elective abortion are two different things and they're coded differently. And that's been a very, I don't know, personally. Yep. No, <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people got really upset about. And I think I was even surprised myself was how, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. These people advocate for killing babies, defenseless little babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was even surprised after the, the Dobbs decision, Rose reversal, how they were twisting the word miscarriage mm-hmm. and, and, and trying to exploit. So Jessa Duggar came yeah. out and said recently she had a DNC because she had a miscarriage. She said multiple DNCs for miscarriages. Those are called therapeutic abortions, meaning they remove a dead child from a mother's uterus so a mother doesn't die of sepsis infection. That's mm-hmm. not a direct abortion. No. Um, and but yet, the, but the abortion industry is trying to confuse American women. Like, oh my gosh, you've had a DNC, therefore you've had an abortion. I might have to get a DNC. I'm not pregnant. I might have to get a DNC done for a medical procedure. Does that mean I'm killing a baby? No, there's no baby inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they're using these words to try, you know, a spontaneous abortion, a miscarriage is labeled, it's called a spontaneous abortion. 
is that an abortion where a mother chooses to pay someone to end the life of a human being? No. And so I've actually had to start for the first time in 16 years. Um, I've actually had to start, you know, saying things like direct abortion. I actually have to say it on campus of like direct abortion should be illegal. And everyone's like, oh, okay, okay. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, you, you were, like you know, I've had students who've said that. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you were just trying to like, now you act like you're okay with abortion. You're not okay with abortion. No, no. You were just, you're trying to confuse your fellow students yeah. uh, about this. And I, th- I think that's just, it's sickening. But I mean, like I said, these people yeah. advocate for killing people. Like, I so. even read the other day um, that they were trying to change it from elective abortion to some other term because elective insinuated that they made a choice and which they did. And, uh, but I just found it so not ironic because this is how we expect the system to work, but no one's trying to change the term abortion on people who've had miscarriages. No one's trying to remove that term from the coding, you know, but they're, they're trying to remove the word elective from being attached to abortion. We don't even know what a woman is. So, I mean, of course they're going to try to confuse the term. I mean, they tried for a long time to make abortion a good term. And they couldn't. So Planned Parenthood, a number of years ago, I had students in a Planned Parenthood training. And I remember the flyer because they passed it out. And it was telling Planned Parenthood said, you know, don't say the word pro-choice. And that's when they started saying the words reproductive justice. And the reason was in, you know, top of the mind polling, you know, pro-choice still people's minds about abortion. And when people hear the word abortion, the top three things they think of are death, killing, or sadness. Doesn't matter what they label themselves. Doesn't matter what the political party they vote for. People don't like the word abortion. And so they tried for a long time to make that abortion. There's been numerous attempts of like abortion to social good. Good mothers have abortions. Um, uh, I heart my abortion. There's been all kinds of like alliterations of these, like let's try to end the stigma of abortion and they haven't been able to. So now, so now they've like actually, changed it so now they're just calling everything an abortion so now everything is an abortion um and trying to confuse people using these yep. you know long-standing medical terms and abortion is an ending of a pregnancy the question is is it also the ending of a life yes a spontaneous abortion is a natural miscarriage it's when the child has already died uh and the pregnancy ends mm-hmm. a dnc is you know um, you know, if you're doing a DNC after a spontaneous abortion, it can, can be considered a, after a miscarriage, it can be called a therapeutic abortion. It's ending the pregnancy or moving pregnancy tissue of a dead, but there's also a dead child. Mm-hmm. A direct yeah. or elective abortion means there's a child. If it's over five weeks, child has a, you know, a beating heart that can be heard via ultrasound. And you're going to stop that beating heart of another human being and then remove a dead human being from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge distinction. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, like every woman in America who suffered the pain of miscarriage, I mean, needs to rise up and tell them to cut it out because it's unbelievable. Like what they did to Jessa Ducker just recently mm-hmm. in these news headlines of saying the abortion, not for, 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 for thee, but for me, Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's not mm-hmm. having a direct abortion. She's having a mis. She had a miscarriage, and did you want her to get septic and die? Mm-hmm. It it's unreal. just another. It's just another another example of people wanting to believe the lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Speaking of that, I had watched a clip where you were on Tucker Carlson and you said the most controversial thing you can say these days are there are only two genders. And if you don't want to face an unexpected pregnancy (laughs) and choose not to engage in heterosexual sex. Yes. It's just true story. That's controversial. (laughs) But I mean, we do have a group of people who calls themselves the scientific, uh, community, but they deny basic biology every single day. So right. not really sure how to win the hearts and minds of those people, but that's not necessarily who we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, I think it's why Christians need to keep speaking truth. I think that's yes. a very yeah. good reminder of, you know, I was talking to one of my staffers the other day and she said, you know, you have to think, Kristen, this is the first generation of kids that some of them haven't been raised being told what a woman is, what a man is. True. That's true. All right. Speaking of youth, this will be our last question for you, but Cecily and I are firm believers in restoration of logic and critical thinking, and that starts with instilling it back into our youth. So how do you suggest including younger generations in these conversations so they're prepared for the world that they will one day encounter? Yeah. Start a Students for Life group. Follow Students for Life. Follow me on social media. Um, start watching other people have the conversation, learn how to, you know, join us in front of a CVS or Walgreens for a protest, join us for National Pro-Life Chalk Day. Just surround yourself with other people who share your worldview who are pro-life and join them at an event. You don't have to say anything. You can just join and watch, uh, see what it's all about. Go to volunteer at a pregnancy resource center or maternity home for a weekend. Just raise your hand and get involved. Absolutely. When when you said uh, that this is the first generation that's being raised without even knowing, being told or knowing what a woman is. Yeah, really, they're at a huge disadvantage now when it comes to logic and critical thinking, because they're being told essentially that logic doesn't exist. Um, everything is run on emotion. So yeah, very thankful for the work that you do with students. Thank you. Um, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, ladies. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. So Students for Life, right? That's where people can Mm -hmm. find you. Can you clarify that? Studentsforlife.org. Follow us on social media, studentsforlife.org, Students for Life or Students for Life Action, or my handles are usually just Kristen Hawkins. Okay, that's awesome. We'll direct people your way. Thank you for making the time to join us. Thanks, ladies. Have a great day. Bye. I'm so grateful that we got the opportunity to talk to Kristen. There was a lot in there. Like we said in the intro, this is a different kind of abortion conversation, not the typical one that you expect when you start an episode on abortion, pro-life stuff. So very thankful for that. Just a couple things that I really like that I think, regardless of what you're talking about in culture or in politics, um, the link between money and law and morality is... Mm -hmm always a constant. And one other thing that I think was an undercurrent throughout the whole episode is that it seems that emotionalism is valued over logic these days. And I mean, this is not new to this podcast. This is something we talk about often. But when it comes to speaking the truth, we we need to value logic. And um, Kristen, one thing she said was that in her DMs, she'll often get other Christians messaging her saying that she shouldn't be doing stuff like this because she's going to leave a bad taste in the mouth of people and they're going to get a bad taste for pro-life and Christians. But we have to also consider the fact that 
if we're not pointing people towards truth, which is logical, then we're not loving them well either. And if we just let our emotions run anything in our life, it's it doesn't usually lead us to a good place. So there has to be some sort of balance. So I think that was a thread throughout this conversation and also throughout some of the episodes that we've done recently. So don't forget to check out Kristen. We've linked her um, socials and stuff for Students for Life um, in our show notes. So you can check that out there. And you can also find us outside of the podcast. We have our Instagram page for the podcast is at boomclappodcast. And you can find me, Cecily, on Instagram at cecily.dickey or thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at ritarogersco.com or Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.